The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Bumper Exchequer returns. Rishi Sunak's Windsor framework fix. Refugee accommodations, excessive energy bills. Much to discuss with Minister for Public Expenditure and President of the Eurogroup, Pascal Donoghue. Minister, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Thanks for having me on your programme. Now, you may have heard in the news headlines, Michael O'Leary calling on Eamon Ryan to resign over the drones. What say you? Uh, that uh, Eamon Ryan will respond back comprehensively to the difficulty that is there. Uh, that uh, we are well aware of the challenges that are being faced by commuters at Dublin Airport and any steps the government needs to take to deal with this matter, we will. Now, uh, another bumper um, result for the Exchequer returns. And you've decided, uh, or you and Michael McGrath decided that uh, much of this should be saved for the rainy day. Yes, indeed. And the reason for that is, uh, while it is true to say the Exchequer figures uh, were very positive for February. There continues to be two factors that drive them. Uh, the first one broadly is inflation is having an effect on some important tax uh, receipts. And as inflation begins to decline over time, which we believe it will, the very high level of tax receipts for particular taxes will also change. And secondly, it continues to be the case that our corporate tax receipts are very, very strong and I know they will decline over time as well. And that is why, despite the many demands we faced, and I know you're going to raise it with me in a moment, as you should, I do believe the safe thing to do is to set aside some of that money for the day in which we've new challenges or the day in which that money isn't available to spend. Okay. now people will say we have all the challenges at the moment. We've got the the housing crisis. We've got accommodation for refugees. We've got a health service that's uh, struggling. So how do you define the rainy day? I completely understand that. And I always feel that it's a very difficult argument to make. Uh, Why should you not spend money that is available to spend at the moment? On the other hand, if you look at where we are with money that we are currently spending at the moment, We've increased the amount of money that we spend in our schools, our hospitals, our Lewis's from around €4 billion Euro in 2016 to now around €12 billion. Euro. And if you look at how much money we're spending at the moment, we are spending around €91 billion Euro this year, which is actually a really big increase on where we were, uh, let's say, in 2015 or 2016. So public spending has really increased. I believe it has had a positive difference. But I know we have much more to do. But fundamentally, I've been around once before in politics when we uh, spent uh, tax receipts that ultimately turned out not to be there in the long term Mm. on the issues of today. And I saw the hurt that caused. And I don't think we should do that again. Um, You may not be in power. The polls would suggest that uh, Sinn Féin will be attempting to form a government uh, as perhaps the largest party after the next election. Their definition of a rainy day and yours might be very different. So you put all this money into uh, the rainy day fund and then uh, Sinn Féin and other left wing parties come into power and they say, wow, look at that pot of gold. We can spend it. We can make ourselves popular. Uh, So uh, many politicians in your shoes would be saying, what is the point? So firstly, uh, the next general election is a long way away and there's nothing inevitable in politics. The future is always open. Nothing is fixed. And while I'd always resile from commenting on any one of individual opinion poll, if you do look at opinion polls over the last number of years, the three parties who are in government at the moment cumulatively are faring reasonably well, given all that is going on at the moment. But we have a hell of a lot more to do. But to deal with your more, you know, 
I mean, it doesn't have to be the next election. It can be the one after. And you keep on with good exchequer returns, keep on building up the pot. And then it is seen as, uh, you you know, you could go to the the, the Bolsonaro route or pick any. um, (laughs) You could go the Turkish route with President Erdogan, you know, spend money appropriately to get yourself reelected. But I think that shows the very dangers of us. If you look at the, uh, the Turkish route, as you've just referred to there, uh, you know, they have inflation levels that are astronomical. They've huge problems with their currency. They've significant problems now with actually how they may even, um, you know, fund themselves because of the uh, huge challenges uh, that they're facing with a very high level of inflation and their currency beginning to change in value. I mean, that's the last place we want to be. And I do take your really important point regarding uh, the definition of a so-called rainy day when there's so many people experiencing so many challenges at the moment. But again, the point I'd make there is with the expenditure that we've had there and that I outlined the overall figures there a moment ago, we've now spent since the start of last year nine billion euro of your listeners money helping to deal with these challenges made changes in our tax code to ensure that nobody who's earning less than €40,000 is on the higher rate of income tax, made efforts to bring down the cost of childcare by a quarter and we've another energy credit to come of €200 that will cost €400 million with targeted measures to happen after that. So it's not a case that we're not spending the money. We are spending a lot of money to help, but I'm just making the case for holding some of it back. Now, the inflation figures in uh, countries like Germany, in Spain, in France are not good from our point of view. We're doing well. Uh, It seems we have a better control on our local inflation than they have. But of course, uh, the European Central Bank operates across the Eurozone. So if they feel we need more hikes in interest rates, that's what's going to happen, even though it might not be appropriate for Ireland. In fact, it would penalise mortgage holders uh, to a greater extent. Which is why the decisions that we take with regard to budgetary policy are so important, because you're 100% right. I mean, what you're highlighting is one of the things we need to be aware of about when you share a currency with lots of other economies that there's one central bank that sets uh, what they call monetary policy, which is what's your interest rate? How much money should there be in the economy? They set it for everybody who has the euro. But then we all do have slightly different national economic characteristics. And that is why here in Ireland, we need to look at the right budget policies that are still consistent with what's happening within the euro area, but respond back to particular features that we may have. In terms of the inflation figure that you just touched on there a moment ago, I think we should be careful not to read too much into a single month. All we have said overall, and I still would stand by this judgment for the year, is inflation is still going to be high for the year, but we do expect it to be lower than it was last year. And even with the figures that we've seen in February for a number of economies, I still believe that's where we'll end up for the year. Uh, Some of the text coming in with bumper government receipts. The government should give the squeezed middle a break, considering mortgage interest rates are increasing and going to work actually costs money. The government should lower excise on fuel and continue subsidising electricity bills because workers need a break. Um, I, I, you haven't ruled out uh, uh, maybe an, uh, an autumnal uh, energy credit. 
So just on the different points there. So firstly, we are continuing to have the lower rate of VAT and gas and electricity of 9%. That will be in place up until the budget, which will take place later on in the year. And the government will actually have another energy credit coming out, which I mentioned a few moments ago, across this month and next, which will be €400 million. And we will consider whether further energy credit is needed in the context of the budget. But like I completely understand why your listener would be texting in with issues like this, because things are hard. Prices are going up. It, it For many at the moment, the rising cost of commuting, the rising cost of food is having such a big impact. But what we are trying to do is be honest to say we can't help with every additional cost. If any government begins to say we can help with every additional cost um, coming from the cost of living, we are on the way to creating our own economic shock here in Ireland. Yeah. But we can't help enough to, I believe, make a difference. Now, uh, the, the question of windfall taxes on energy companies, um, there will be a, a European initiative. I don't know how close we are to that being finalised. Are there local initiatives as well? And will all the money be ring-fenced to give back to the hard-pressed energy user? So the European initiative was put in place there towards the end of last year. And what that was, Pat, is they set, uh, uh, the energy minister set the broad parameters for what so-called windfall, windfall charges and taxes could look like. And they set them broadly for the European Union because we broadly have um, an energy market in which what one country does can have an effect on another. What we are now doing, and Minister Ryan is doing this work and he's moving along really quickly with it, is looking at then uh, within those parameters, what would be the national version of our tax? And that work is on the way. And to deal with your question then, the answer to that question is yes. Any tax that we would raise from us, we would then use to look at how we can support our economy. But the only thing I would say is that we are seeing signs now of the price of energy beginning to stabilise and potentially fall. Mm. And what that will in turn mean is the amount of tax you would collect through a windfall charge would also begin to change if the price sure. of energy begins but, to but come I, down. But I'm just trying to get at, a, you know, a pan-European uh, windfall tax. Like a lot of the, the people who've made the big um, gains do not operate necessarily in Ireland. If you're talking about the big sure. petrochemical companies making uh, fortunes, do we get a whack of that tax? So we would be able to look at taxes on energies that are really produced here in Ireland and are directly it. supplied. Uh, and... Uh, so, for example, if an international yeah. company like Shell, Royal Dutch Shell is its full title, uh, made windfall profits, but they're headquartered in they the Netherlands. Be, they will be taxed in the jurisdiction in which the profits accrue. But we've more than enough companies and entities that are registered here in Ireland that make profit here in Ireland that we would be but able to But you know what I mean? If, if we're no, buying I a lot of stuff from these guys, but they're uh, declared, and I know this is a bit embarrassing for Ireland because we get a lot of profits here, uh, declared here, which are maybe garnered yeah. in other places for taxation purposes. Uh, but, but the whole idea that if Royal Dutch Shell, for example, made bumper profits, including stuff they sold to us, but it's all declared in the Netherlands. We can't windfall tax that, can we? Which is why I've always been guarded about setting expectations regarding what a tax could bring in. There's more than enough profit accruing here in Ireland in relation to energy consumption to allow us to look at how that could be taxed. But the point you made actually in your question to me is one I was about to make too, which is actually the general principle of that you tax where profit is accrued is one that serves Ireland very well and has had a big effect on our overall corporate tax receipts. All right, so don't mess with 
a nice little earner for us. Now, um, it's a very interesting text, which may amuse you, um, but it's from Eugene. Pascal is rather good about giving us proof of spending, but anyone who's had a cursory look at their partner's credit card will see plenty of proof of spending, but no guarantee of value for money in that spending. So, when you talk about the amount of money that we spend on, uh, for example, the health service uh, and on housing and all the rest of it, uh, lots of proof that we're spending the money, no proof that we're getting value for money. So uh, I think that is uh, a very fair critique of how we spend public money in Ireland. So allow me to make the argument as to why in many cases there is value for money, but acknowledge that we always need to do better. I would argue that the value for money is evident when you look at the quality of new school buildings that we are providing all over Ireland. When you look at things like new university campuses that are being constructed, such as Grange Gorman Technological University in Dublin. I would argue that quality is there when you see the improved outcomes that are now available for many different health conditions that a decade ago would have had a fundamental effect on our quality of life. I would argue that is there when you look at, for example, the number of new homes that we're building in Ireland, which is up over 40 percent. No, but there's always a a suspicion that the state doesn't get value for money, Uh, often might be cumbersome tendering procedures and so on. But recently there was a story you probably saw that DCC, Dublin City Council, pay far more for uh, the the, the housing that they uh, initiate than the private sector. Yes, indeed. And I'm, I'm aware of that. And of course, Dublin City Council have to deliver particular standards and qualities in terms of the homes they build as well. The point I'm but making, they pay more for equivalents. But the point I'm making here is that in acknowledging we need to have a debate about how we deliver better value for money, the bedrock of that for me is still that public spending in so many cases does have a very, very positive influence. And if I look at our country in the round, if I look at where we are with levels of educational attainment, if I look at improvements that I do see in health outcomes, I want to make that case while on the other side of the coin, still acknowledging that waiting lists into our health service, I want them to fall quicker and we need to build more houses. Uh, so I would make a kind of a, 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 a nuanced case for acknowledging we need to do more but for the public spending that we have at the moment, still making a positive Mm. difference. Now, one of the things that came from Sean Moncrief's reports from uh, Kiev was the fact that many of the people who've been uh, dislocated because of bombing and so on by Putin uh, are going to live in modular housing. And it's whizzing up there. And this is a a war-torn country. We seem to have a huge difficulty in either finding, sourcing and building uh, modular housing. And I mean... People have an idea of prefabs. Maybe they think of caravan parks. That's not what they're like. I mean, houses can have a lifespan guaranteed of 70 years. These modular bills, loads of them available in the UK. You can go on the web and find them uh, quite easily. Why is it taking so long? Because hotels are going to be turfing refugees out. Yeah, so I I think the comparison, though, with Ukraine... uh Uh, is worth teasing out a little bit. I mean, they are in a war at the moment, as we all know so painfully, to see the awful violence that they are enduring. And that does mean, therefore, that many of the processes that an economy and a society would operate when you're in a war are automatically suspended. Thank God. You mean they don't have to look for planning permission, they just can build, uh, which is to satisfy a desperate need. The most desperate of needs. And in our society... While we are dealing with the great challenge of how we can look after people who are coming into our country fleeing a war, I make two points about it. Firstly, I do believe overall uh, our society 
and our public services have really done but their best foot forward and now supporting the 75,000 people that have come to our country fleeing the unimaginable violence that is happening in Ukraine. But that being said, when it comes to the availability of modular housing and other forms of temporary accommodation, we need to do more even quicker in 2023. And the government is aware of that. And there will be a cabinet meeting happening later on today in which we'll approve further steps with regard to that. Yeah, I mean, one of the proposals was that you use uh, containers, shipping containers to, to create uh, individual modular homes, which they use for universities in the Netherlands, for example. And the great advantage is that the by their very nature, they're temporary. So people who might object to them will know these are coming down as soon as uh, the need evaporates. But the truth of it is, is with the temporary accommodation that we're putting in place at the moment. It is not going to be permanent accommodation, but it is not accommodation that we're going to be removing within weeks. It's temporary accommodation that will be going on for a period of time. I hope it's not many years, but it is going to be shorter than many months. Uh, So it will be temporary. But I hope and expect we can do better than containers from ships. Uh, please ask the minister, does he agree that working people are the new poor, the new vulnerable? We don't qualify for social welfare. We don't get a medical card or social housing. Please ask him why I shouldn't just give up and go on welfare. Now, we know the answer to that. Most people want to work. Uh, be- uh, there's an appetite for work, mo- but still. Because most people want to work because a life of work and a life of doing your best with our skills and talents and hard work is what many of us want to do in our different walks of life. But then to ask, why is it worth your while doing it from a monetary point of view? I'm well aware of that, but that is yeah. why. But you see, the, the argument from these uh, working people who feel squeezed is that uh, they look at social welfare, people who are permanently on social welfare, and they see it as a lifestyle choice. And it doesn't seem to be any poorer a lifestyle than the one they can afford to provide for their families, getting up, as the Taoiseach uh, said, early in the morning, commuting costs and all the other costs, and they get nothing except perhaps child benefit in return. Nothing. So um, having made the case for the value of a, of a life of work and doing our best, let me also make the case to say that uh, I actually am convinced and know uh, that the uh, vast majority of people who are drawing down social welfare payments from our state, disability payments, carers allowances and so on, um, are, 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 are not doing it because of a lifestyle choice. I think that is a point I'd also make. But if I look at the point in the middle of all I mean, of this, should, then, for example, a family on social welfare with no other income be able to afford a, fam- a holiday in Spain? Uh, well, I, I, I mean, should they? Is, is that what social welfare I, is all about? I haven't come across many cases when they can. Uh, but if you look at how we want to make work pay, which was the core question there, this is the reason why in the budget we increased up to €40,000, the amount of income you can earn without paying the higher rate of income tax. It's why we've cut childcare fees. It's why we've increased the number of people who can access the fuel allowance. It's why we've brought in additional bonus payments for child benefit. So we've done all of these things and I'm always But there are some people who only get the child benefit. That's the only thing. And they get the electricity thing. But look, this one here. But if anybody's working and they're uh, earning enough money upon which to pay income tax, they will be benefiting from the changes that I put in place in last year's budget. Uh, This one, electricity charges should be capped like they are in Australia. Stop the greed of suppliers. My latest bill for a modest three bed semi is 317 for two months. Just myself and my son in the house. I work all week. He's in school. So we're not even here that 
much. It's nuts what they're charging. Now, so, uh, yeah. so just to deal with that, that's why we've retained a lower rate of VAT and gas and electricity. It's why we're bringing in an additional energy credit. And to deal with your question then regarding why we can't cap prices here in Ireland, it actually goes back to the great question you put to me earlier on about how energy is supplied into Ireland. That so much of it is energy that we have to source from abroad internationally. If we put in place some of some kind of a price cap, I think two things will happen. The first one is it could impact on our ability to source the energy in the first place. The second thing is any government who commits to putting in place an energy cap has to have a damn good answer regarding how they're going to pay for us. And I'm convinced that putting in place an open-ended price cap, as others have tried, would shift all the risk in the end back to, ta- to taxpayers in Ireland. The, the question of how we work out what our electricity uh, charges are, uh, and it's the, the auction system that they use to uh, on the whole island uh, for the generation of electricity. Um, there was a time when... Uh, Wind energy, for example, had to be subsidised. Now, the cost per uh, unit of electricity we pay is far greater than the guaranteed cost for wind generated energy. But, you know, we pay at the highest rate. Whatever they pay for the last therm of energy they put on the system is what they all get. Wind generators, and that's how wind generators will have, if you like, windfall profits. Which is exactly the reason why in the proposals that have been drawn up by Minister Ryan, it will look at taxation in the renewable sector. Because the point you're making is correct. The difference between the cost of producing the an energy of units and the cost of selling the last energy of units has changed significantly. Yeah, but they get, everyone gets the top price. Which is the reason why a windfall charge for the renewable sector, which will be implemented across the European Union, is needed. Because you're going to see some parts of our economy accrue massive profits, mainly because the price of what they are selling has gone up due to a war. The uh, demand from some people uh, simply to do, uh, to help the working poor, as they put it, make childcare tax deductible. Why not? Uh, Because that in turn has additional really significant costs that in turn taxpayers ultimately pay. And the reason why we are, this is the reason why we're tackling the issue in another way through subsidies to bring down the cost of childcare. So many uh, families who avail of childcare will have seen their childcare costs this year come down by nearly a quarter. And we want to continue with that approach in future budgets. Now, uh, some of the other things that happened this week, uh, the reaction in the Eurogroup to the framework, the Windsor framework. Uh, So I think it's a very, very positive development from an Irish point of view. Uh, We set three different priorities that we wanted to see attained uh, regarding our own country. No hard border in the island of Ireland, no change in our relationship and membership of the single market and nothing that would undermine the Good Friday Agreement. And by any standard, the European Union have delivered against those uh, national priorities now over nearly seven years. Uh, Some more uh, texts, uh, the new children's hospital value for money, question mark, says Chris. Another one, there are many people claiming social welfare while working in the black economy and living extremely comfortable lives. I work so hard and so does my husband. The minister is out of touch with what really is going on. I'm sick of this country and the high tax we pay. And then a suggestion from another listener. What about a cap on social welfare? Grossing it 
all up, including the benefits, universal benefits, uh, and set the cap at the average industrial wage. Child benefits should be restricted to children living in the state only. So a number of things there that everything you get, medical card, etc., any help you get from the state, you work it out and you put a cap on it, the average industrial wage, because that's what the average industrial worker has to fund their family. And the second thing, how many children not living any longer in the state are still benefiting benefiting from our child benefit? Well, Pat, thanks very much for all of those questions there. There's a lot in them all. I'm afraid I'm not in a position and don't have the information available to me today in your studio to respond back to the direct question regarding how many children could be outside of Ireland and accruing our child benefit. But of course, the principle does go the other way. Like when we're in the European Union and we benefit so greatly from it, there are many cases where you know social insurance benefits are available across all of the EU. And to deal with your question then regarding a cap. I think it's it's kind of, and I don't want to pick a, a nationality, but the caricature is the Polish worker who's now gone home, still has an Irish bank account, and the family are all back in Lvov or wherever they are, and they're still benefiting from the Irish taxpayer. Well, I think that happens in a very, very small number of cases, uh, if at all now these days. And of course, uh, you know, the, the, the principle would apply then to an Irish citizen uh, in terms of their ability to access social insurance benefits, even if they're outside of the country based on the taxes and social insurance contributions they've made within our own country. And it is a principle of how the European Union operates that our country benefits from so much overall regarding that concept of equality of treatment. Mm -hmm. In relation to the cap that you've proposed there, uh, I'd have a lot of reservations about it. The main reason being so much of the additional benefits and payments that your listener you refer to are means tested in the first place. So the medical card is means tested. So many of the non-core social welfare payments are means tested as well, which is a different and more sophisticated and effective way of ensuring benefits go to those who need them as opposed to an arbitrary cap. Mm-hmm. Minister Pascal Donu, Minister for Public Expenditure, President of the Eurogroup. Uh, thank you very much for... The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk. For joining us in studio.